this is making it here and there. Welcome to the show. DJ Shilpa is more than just the woman behind the turntables. She has found the sweet spot of intersecting her cultural heritage with a successful DJ and MCing career, entertaining audiences at parties, clubs, and virtual discos. In a very competitive industry, Shilpa has managed to hustle, network, and secure opportunities to showcase her talents. Her ability to craft and communicate what our clients crave is effortless. While physically based in the greater New York City area, her reach is global. You can listen to DJ Shilpa's work on our website, djshilpa.com. Thank you, DJ Shilpa, for coming on Making It Here and There. I, uh, I appreciate you coming on during your uh, busy schedule. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Um, so why don't you start telling everybody about how you got started in the DJ and uh, music industry? Um, I got start. Well, music is something that's just always been a part of my life. Um, mm-hmm. I've always liked music. Growing up, I played the flute in school, so I know how to read and write music. Uh, by the time I graduated high school, I was the drum major in band. Um, you know, throughout college, I was always into music. So music has just always been a part of my life. Um, in the early 90s, my dad started a mobile DJ company. Mm-hmm. And he started this mobile DJ company in the central New Jersey area because um, he felt there was a need to provide a service for South Asians. Um, there weren't, actually, there weren't any South Asian DJs. Um, in the early 90s and but you know there was starting to become a large population of South Asians within that central Jersey area so you had um, Indians getting married having engagement parties things things of that nature and they were hiring non-Indian DJs but then giving the uh, non-Indian DJs Indian music to play so my dad was like oh like I love music and I'm very intrigued by it, which he was too. Like my whole family is very musical. They're, they're very much into music in general. And I think he just thought it was like, you know, a great way to make some side pocket money, you know, which I think any family oriented person is going to think, you know, like my, my parents both had blue collar jobs. So it's like, it was his way of like, you know what, this is something I could do on the weekends and maybe earn some extra money to like, you know, help my family. And um, he just went out. And uh, I think at the time, uh, I'm not so sure if people are going to remember, but there was a store called Sam Ash and they sold um, musical equipment um, in the New Jersey and New York area. I want to say Sam Ash doesn't exist anymore. I'm pretty sure they went bankrupt in recent years and closed. But at the time, it was a pretty big store. They sold uh, um, instruments. you know, musical equipment, DJ equipment. So he just went out and bought two turntables, a mixer, some speakers, and started literally like just DJing for his community. Um, So that's how I got started. Uh, I was his daughter. So I would go to these events with him as a little girl. And, you know, initially it was just, he needed a helper. He needed somebody to help him uh, carry the turntables in and uh, help set up or maybe, you know, just uh, answer questions people might have. Or if he was spinning and somebody had a request, I'd take the request. I was literally his helper. (laughs) Um, And I just didn't think it was going to 
I just didn't think it was going to make such an impact on me at the time. Right. You're a kid. Like you don't, you're not thinking, um, how you're really absorbing all of it. Um, but when I look back to those times, I'm like, man, like I, I didn't really think like it was going to affect me to the point where like one day I was going to make the decision to do it myself. Um, but that's how I got started. Cause my dad was a DJ. What would you say specifically drew you to the craft of DJing? I enjoyed um, the music, obviously. I enjoyed when specifically um, you would mix one song into the other, right? Mm -hmm. um, executing a blend or a mix. Uh, that's, that part of it really intrigued me. Um, uh, most of all, though, I really enjoyed the people, the energy. Um, I would go to these events with my dad and you just watch people have a good time. You watch people come together and you watch music, just take it all away. And I think I, that's what really drew me to it. The, the, um, that aspect of it, the, the gratitude people expressed at the end of an event, right? Um, that, that human aspect of it really drew me to that craft. And something you, you said before, you know, you're, father was sort of uh, found a business venture and filled in uh, a niche that, you know, maybe wasn't, wasn't there at the time. Um, I don't know how many Indian specialty DJs exist right now, but um, would, you know, what, what gives you like a unique perspective and a performance um, with like the Indian community? Um. You know, being of Indian descent, obviously, I know and understand Indian music. Mm -hmm. So it, it gives you the upper hand when someone that's Indian contacts you to do their event. You understand American music because I'm American, right. um, you know, and I grew up in America and I speak English and I understand English music. I understand um, all that. But being Indian, I also understand Indian music. So being able to blend the two genres, um, you know, kind of gives me the upper hand within that niche, within that community. And there's different, um, like at a wedding, like an Indian wedding, there's different ceremonies or, or um, symbolic acts, not say acts, but something that's done that, you know, you wouldn't find in a traditional quote unquote Western wedding. And, you, and that's something that you can speak to and, and do sort of effortlessly. Right, right. because you know, um, I know it, it's my culture, you know, I grew up being around it. So it's, you know, you, you get hired to do an Indian wedding. Um, if you get hired to do an all day Indian wedding, you already know it's going to start in the morning with a groom's procession, which is called a Bharat. And it's so funny, like when now doing these events in America, you know, like when you do an Indian wedding, there's bound to be like non-Indian people at the wedding. And it's so amazing to see like their world open up because they've never attended a Bharat. They're like, what? Like you got to dance in the morning before the ceremony <laughs> even starts. And it's, they love it. you know, it's because it's, it's something they've never seen, you know? And um, that's one aspect of like Indian weddings that, you know, as you're saying, it, it doesn't happen in other weddings. Um, the groom's procession, and then you go into the ceremony in the morning, then there's this break, and then you go into like, you know, the uh, the evening part of it, the reception, because the ceremony itself is also not like 15, 20 minutes. It's a whole like hour, hour and a half. There's all these rituals, and all the rituals are highlighted with ceremonial music. 
that goes with it. So, yeah. Now, when I think of Indian, quote unquote, Indian culture, um, it's interesting because to me, India has different regions and there's different, um, I don't know, different, I don't you don't call them counties, but different areas of India that do different things. Do you do anything specific, like a specific area of India or to a specific group of Indians from its particular area? Or is it like kind of all the same? I mean, that's something I'm just curious about. Um, it, it definitely is not all the same. You've got your North Indians. They have different traditions than the South, uh, South Indians. Mm-hmm. Um, for instance, South Indians speak like Tamil and Telugu, which is a type of, you know, it's a language. Whereas North Indians speak Punjabi or Hindi. Um, you've got your central, like the people from central part of India. The cultures are definitely different, but for the most part, it's very similar. Like the okay. overall thing is the same, but like there'll be little like aspects. For instance, I'll give you a really good example. Um, if you're Gujarati, which is a type of Indian, during the ceremony, you go around the fire only four times. Whereas okay. if you're Punjabi, and you're from North India, in the ceremony, you go around the fire seven times. So okay. it's those little like cultural details that mm-hmm. are different. But for the most part, in every Hindu ceremony or Indian ceremony, you're walking around the fire. But <laughs> depending on what part of India you're from, it might be four times or seven times. I've never been to an Indian wedding, so I'm going to have to get invited to one so I can say the walk yeah. around the fire and the groom's yeah. There's, there's different, uh, there's different parts to it. There's the, uh, it's, it usually starts off with a small prayer, then the bride's procession, and then you've got um, the walk around the fire, the tying of an actual knot, like between the groom and the bride, like you take mm-hmm. their, there's, there's these, uh, you know, clo- like, um, what the do you call it? Or- yeah, yeah, and you tie them together. It's an actual symbolic like ritual. Then the walking around the fire. Then there's this thing called saptapadi, which is like seven steps, which is considered to be like seven vows. Um, yeah, whole bunch of stuff. So, kind of like to change a little bit. When I we were just talking about this uh, prior to our doing the podcast, but you know we were talking about famous DJs. And uh, when we think of famous DJs, a lot of them are usually just white guys, whether they're, you know, the Calvin Harris or, or a lot of European DJs. Do you feel that you're kind of, you know, have to work harder to be represented in the DJ community? I think that overall, right, like when you speak of the DJ industry, it's a male dominant industry. Mm-hmm. Um, or it was. I'm definitely seeing more and more females now, which is amazing. Um, I've definitely met and worked with a lot more female DJs now within the, in, within the last couple of years than I did 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think to answer that question fairly, yeah, because it's such a male dominant industry, I think the women do have to work a little bit harder um, to be represented. Um, but I tell people all the time, and I'm a very firm believer in this, uh, it's, it's not about being a male or a female DJ, it's just about being a good DJ. That's where, that's what I believe, that's what I would like the whole industry to believe. Um, that's why I represent myself the way I do, the way I talk about the industry on my social media platforms. Um, 
that's what I want. I want there to be an equal representation of both males and females. If you're good, you're good, you know? It, you know, but yeah, there, there's just not a lot of female DJs out there. And, and you're absolutely right. Like the representation there needs to level up a little bit more. And what, and knowing that even, I would you say uh, 15 years ago, what, when did you say you would start about 15, 20 years ago? Yeah. Yeah. So knowing that 15, 20 years ago, you still said, all right, I'm going to establish my brand. How did that process start? What was Yeah, your- because, you know, like I, I feel like when you understand the basics of music and the basics of DJing and you, you gotta be, you gotta believe in yourself. Right. I mean, for me, it was just, I knew I was good at it. Mm-hmm. So I was ready to face the you know, any criticism that might come my way or, you know, anything that, that came my way, I was ready to face it and fight it, but I always faced it and fought it with my skill. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and, and that's something I tell everybody, like, you know, as long as you're good at what you do and you keep practicing your skill and, you know, you keep putting yourself out there, um, you're going to be able to represent yourself fine. And, uh, 15 years ago, social media didn't exist. So it was definitely a lot harder. But I think now with social media being present, things have gotten a little easier. It's a lot easier for you to take a quick 30 minute, uh, or I'm sorry, 30 second or, or one minute clip and put yourself out there on social media. I mean, you've got lots of DJs blowing up on TikTok right now, because they do these cool mixes or this quick like, you know, here's 10 songs from 2019 that were very popular and they put it, throw it on TikTok and they blow up. So it's like, you know, there's, there's that aspect of it too now that makes, I think the representation a little bit more easier. Yeah. And would, so we actually talking about TikTok, how, you know, you said Instagram, TikTok, you've been using social media as you're, you know, helping you with your brand and getting your name out there. Um, what do you do specifically on these accounts that, you know, to, to, to help build your brand and get that free advertising? Um, show people my skill, my ability, um, quick mixes, uh, quick blends. Um, it allows people to see, you know, what exactly a DJ does, you know, blending one song into the other. Uh, maybe doing a quick scratch, a quick trick on the turntable. And I think people find it intriguing. So to be able to use social media in that aspect, I think it's great. And um, it's funny, I think, uh, what was it last week when we had the snowstorm? You're like, I have, she's like, it's, you're like, it's a blizzard, but I got to do the car test. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what is the yeah, car test? So um, believe it or not, and I, and, this is very true. A lot of producers will finish producing or making their music on their laptop or their, you know, desktops. And um, they'll take their laptop. And if you have the ability to do this, you should definitely test the levels of a mix in a car. It's just something about it. Like it's, it, it opens up a different, um, sorry about that. It's okay. Phone, the phones are blowing it up. Opens up. Right. It opens up this different, um, like ear, you know, um, and you're it's able like to an just, echo chamber or something like that. Or? Yeah, I don't know. And you're able to just like really like level out your mix. And um, yeah, that's just something that I think I've been doing since since I started producing and putting my mixes out there. So 
every chance I get before I throw anything out there, I test it in the car and I'm like, oh, it sounds great. All right, cool. Or if I need to fix something, I fix it before I put it out. Right, right. Yeah. And I think that's something that I learned with um, just social media and, and, you know, building up your audience or getting your, whatever you're doing, whether it's a product or a brand or whatever, is showing that process. And I think that's really important. Like, you know, they, you, you do videos where you're sitting in the studio, you know, you're like, oh, I'm doing this. And then you're like doing the music and you're like, all right, that sounds good. And yeah. like, oh, this is bringing me back or whatever. But you're, you're constantly bringing everyone on that journey. Yeah. Because it's not like, oh, I'll just finish. Because that's what you see, I feel like, with the music industry, or at least what it was up till probably maybe as of recently, um, just a finished product. Nobody right. knows you know, nobody knows what goes into the pot. Everybody just sees, you know, the soup. But yeah, the, the end products. And again, I think, again, social media has allowed, you know, for us to do that. Um, even, you know, on Instagram, when Instagram first started, you know, we would just do the end product, just post the picture, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm at the event, or um, I'm at this show, or check out my new mix, right? Then stories came about and the stories I find, um, I find I get more engagement on my IG stories, you know, because people are just intrigued with, like you said, they want to see how the the process of it all, they want to see the behind the scenes. So. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, what, what intrigued me about, you know, what going on your Instagram was like seeing the journey. And I was like, all right, I got to talk to her. Um, so I'm just trying to think, I wanted to really talk about, so you, we talked about the weddings, but you know, you also do clubs, right? Uh, obviously not right now, but you know, you did them and, and you, you know, do plan on going back to the club scene. Um, can you talk just about briefly about getting like residencies and securing contracts? You know, what do you say to these clubs or these promoters, like how you stand out? Um, a lot of the club residencies that I got was by networking, mm-hmm. um, you know, actually phys- like I live 10 minutes away from the city, from New York city. So actually going in to these spots, networking with the managers, networking with a lot of the owners, letting them know that I'm a DJ. Um, initially when I first started the club scene, I always had a flash drive on me and mm-hmm. I would be like, Hey, like, you know, here's a flash drive with some of my mixes. Like, if you like it, give me a call. If you don't, don't worry about it. No harsh feelings. And a lot of times I would just get called back or people would be like, oh, this is exactly like the vibe I'm looking for. Or love your mixing style, but would you be able to mix uh, top 40 tonight? In, or would you be able to do a little bit of rock too? Or would you be able to do this, that, and the other? Um, so securing, you know, those uh, those actual first-time gigs was going out, networking, giving them a sample of my work, right? Being called back. Then once I got in the spot, it was just, um, I tell people all the time, like it's about being professional, showing up on time, right? Um, Treating it like a job, whereas some DJs don't do that, right? If I'm being asked to show up to a Tau Group property at 6 p.m. because my set starts at 6 p.m., I'm not going to roll up at 5.59. Going to roll up at 5.30, you know, put my laptop down, you know, connected to the equipment, make sure it's all working because there have been times where I've had to troubleshoot or maybe somebody from the night before uh, messed something up or uh, moved a wire or whatever. So I think there's a little bit of that too. 
Um, and I think once club owners and, and managers realize you are really about the music and you're about being professional and you're not just, the, uh, you know, some, some little kid that's just trying to get attention and get drunk and free drinks or whatever, you know, they, they take that into consideration and then you end up securing a residency, which is, you know, could be a weekly, monthly, whatever. Um, Pre-COVID, I had two residencies, a weekly residency at Bodega Negra, which is a Tao Group property in New York City, and then a monthly res residency at Magic Hour, which is also a Tao Group property. It's a New York City rooftop bar. Oh, wow. And as a club DJ, how do you communicate with your audience? Do you feel like there's a vibe when you get there, or do you just go based off what, like you said, what the owner or the manager tells you ahead of time, or a little bit of both? Um, sometimes, you know, it all depends on the space that you're DJing uh, at, and it depends on um, the vibe that they might be trying to create. Um, there's uh, some rooms that I've done that want a more open format vibe open format is a little bit of everything um so they want top 40 they want a little bit of hip-hop they want some latin they want some you know world music um and that and new york city let's face it it's a big melting you know pot so it's like you know open format djing in my opinion works really well there but i have dj'd in spots in new york city and specific rooms that only want a specific vibe um mm -hmm. There was this room I used to do called the Ricky, very small um, hotel lobby at the Dream Hotel. And okay. there was a Thursday night vibe that I used to do, and it was just all rock. So it would be like three or four hours of just rock music. Um, and I had to do a lot of research, you know, to get that rock music, to learn how to mix it and mix it flawlessly. Um, and then not to mention continuously sort of like mixing it up so I didn't sound so redundant on a weekly basis. Um, but yeah, uh, I, you know, I mean, that's, that's one aspect of um, how, how the club owners, you know, would choose you to do a residency. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to like, once like you're, you're up there and you're DJing, do you get like a vibe from the audience? Do you do anything to pump the audience up? Or, I mean, I know it depends, right? Like if you're in a lounge, you're not, you're not trying to rage at a lounge. You're trying to like relax at the, at the right, lounge. Right, exactly. Say you're at, you know, more of like a dance club. Right, so, and, and, yeah, I think it's like, I think that it sort of slipped my mind towards the end of like when I was like, you know, uh, answering the last question. But no, yeah, okay. um, depending know, on where, yeah, um, depending on where you're spinning, right. If you're doing like a club, you know, club spot, like there's this big room in New York called Slate. Um, and okay. it's just this big, massive room. And it's just like, opens up at like 11, 1130 at night. And it's just this big freaking room where everyone just dances from like 1130 to like four o'clock in the morning. In spaces like that, it's, in my opinion, it's a little easier to read the room because if you're playing hip hop and the crowd just goes wild, you know to not switch it up right away. There's a reaction you've now just gotten, right? Like you dropped a song, the crowd went nuts, they screamed, um, you know, they sang along. That's your cue, this crowd likes this. So I'm gonna continue for another five to 10 minutes before I tried to switch up the vibe. And then like those type of clubs to me are very easy because if you do switch up the vibe and they don't respond to it, they're going to make it very well known. Like they're either, <laughs> either going to, they're either going to stop dancing or you'll see 
people will start leaving the room to go downstairs. You'll start noticing like, you know, maybe not a lot of people left on the floor. Maybe people are going to the bar, you know. Um, so engaging with the crowd, there's, there's, there's many ways. Uh, body language, you know, that's huge. And then, like I said, if they start singing to the music, um, you know, if they're really vibing with, a, with the type of music that you're playing, they're going to, uh, they're going to give you a reaction. Mm -hmm. You're going to be able to tell. So that's, that's one way you, you sort of read the room mm -hmm. and engage with your audience. And then obviously some clubs allow for you to have a mic. So you can literally get on the mic and hype up people. Yeah. Are you a good, are you a good hype woman? <laughs> I am. I really, I, I, I like the way I hype up people. It's, it's more on a classy side. It's not like a, it's not like a, like a let's get ready to rumble kind of style. Oh, like, it's, <laughs> no. it's more like, you're not, you're not brash or anything. Right. Like yeah. Yeah. But I feel like, you know, it, when you do that though do you feel you feel like it's very authentic though because i feel like if i tried to hype anybody up i would be like oh, all a joke like you know what i mean do you feel like it's inside you well, i think it's everyone pretty, I, and that's why i think like the way i do it it's pretty authentic like i don't force myself to i do it when i'm feeling it and i i do okay. it like where i feel like you know I'll, I'll get you know even at weddings like aside from like the, the entrances that I have to announce and other narrative things like the first dance and kick cutting and blah, blah, like all that stuff. Aside from that, during the dance floor, I, I do the bare minimum, like, you know, just get, get your hands up or make some noise for the bride and groom, obviously with more energy because the music's louder, but <laughs> you know, um, yeah, I, I do what I feel cause then it's authentic you know, and, and it comes off that way too. Whereas I, you can tell when it's being forced. Right, right, right. And I, I assume the audience knows too when it's a little, yeah, or even if it's too much, or just very, or sometimes it can just come off as very flat. So you definitely don't want that either. But, um, and how do you say you just connect with new, new clients in general, like with, uh, with weddings? Is it also just networking and referrals? Or? With weddings, it's a lot of referrals and, and word of mouth. Um, you know, especially with South Asian weddings, there's, I mean, now I don't know in the new world what's going to happen. Um, but pre-COVID, an Indian wedding could have like four or 500 people. Oh, so, wow. you know, if there's 400 people at the wedding and you're killing it and the dance floor is packed and everyone's having a good time, you are bound to give a card out that night, if not 10, maybe 20. Um, so initially when I started the business, that's what it was. Like I was doing wedding after wedding, like, and at the end of the wedding, people were coming up to me like, hey, can I have your business card? Because my son's getting married next year. Or, you know, hey, can I have your business card? I just proposed and like, this was such an amazing night and this is exactly what I want at my wedding. So uh, securing new clients uh, for weddings for me is more word of mouth. Um, with a little bit of advertisement in uh, wedding, um, you know, magazines or online magazines like The Knot. Um, there's an Indian uh, website called Maharani Weddings, and I do an ad on there. But I, I don't, I definitely don't um, spend a lot of money on actual advertising. Um, and then securing new residencies or club contracts is more just putting myself out there, putting my work out there and uh, putting myself out there on social media. Right. And that social media aspect just helps all around. 
I think the more you put yourself out there, the more people know about you. Um, you know, people are bound to talk like, oh, there's this, I get a, believe it or not, I get a lot of inquiries in my DMs, which I don't prefer, but it's been happening a lot. Well, I mean, all, all, anything that generates any type of discussion that could lead to a business or can lead to something yeah. is, is always positive. And yeah, the DM thing, I, I totally get it. It can be kind of frustrating, but because you, like you said, you want to funnel that towards, I guess, an email or. Yeah. Um, I mean, even on my, I think sometimes I just get frustrated because my, my, all my profiles, you know, like the, the, the profile pages themselves say, you know, like for, for booking inquiries, email here. It's very mm -hmm. large and it's there, but people still prefer to like DM you. And what's annoying is sometimes like, you know, social media is great, but it's like, I'm not always on my phone checking my DMs. So it's right. like, I might not get to that inquiry right away. And then a lot of people don't understand, but if you're not following the person and the person's got a lot of followers, which I do, um, your DM might not come in my regular folder it goes right. into like a requested folder right yeah so, then, yeah, yeah, they so i sometimes miss it you know and then like before you know it it's like a week later and i'm like oh my god i just saw this yeah, yeah and that's yeah and um i feel like too with just like anything it's like a lot of your information could probably be found on your website and people are like oh what's exactly. this you know, whatever like it's, it's on my website but you know uh you try we all try <laughs> um so I did want to talk about, and you did mention it, we kind of talked about the pandemic and, you know, how that has changed, you know, the industry that truly the industry that you're in, you know, and you've been doing virtual shows. Um, other than that, I mean, what, you know, what's been different, you know, how do you plan on pivoting? What do you expect? I know you can't, it's hard to obviously yeah. get the future, but what do you it plan on going forward? It's, it's been tough, right? Because, you know, I went from doing like 40 to 45 weddings a year to like a complete halt in March of 2020. Um, I think I executed my last wedding of the lockdown on March 15th and oh, wow. 16th. Yeah. And on the 16th, New Jersey went into lockdown. Um, it's, it's hard. I'm, I have to be completely honest with you. I didn't think it was going to be this like year long thing. I just thought initially like, all right, we're going to sort of figure this out and maybe by the summer we'll be back to normal. Um, and then before you knew it, we were in the summer. And then before you knew it, we were in the fall before you knew it, it was Christmas. Um, I was lucky enough that a lot of my clients were able to, uh, reschedule their events for 2021. Mm -hmm. So within that time frame, I decided, all right, like I'm, I don't have any in real life gigs, but what I can do is stay focused on practicing my craft. Um, you also don't want to get away from it so much where like you go back to do a real wedding and you're like, what am I doing? You know, yeah, like, right. you, you know, not that you ever forget because it's like riding a bicycle. So it's like, it's not that I would ever forget how to mix. It's just, you get rusty, you know, um, practice makes perfect. So it's like, I just decided to continue to practice on a daily basis. Um, I figured out platforms that were available and allowed, were allowing DJs to go live. Um, IG was allowing DJs to go live, but there's a lot of music infringement 
copyright issues with IG. So I would go live for 10 minutes or 15 minutes and then I would get cut off. Um, oh. So that's how I found Twitch. Okay. And um, Twitch allows you to just like go live for hours, like however long you want. I think the longest set that I've done is a 12 hour set on Twitch. I did it on Halloween. Oh my God. <laughs> I, started, uh, I started at 12 p.m. noon and I ended at midnight. It was a 12 hour set and I did it to raise money for On The House community in New York. Um, they were helping to raise money to, raise, uh, to help feed underserved communities in New York. They're, they were gonna do 10,000 meals during the holiday time. So we were able to raise like uh, a grand, um, you know, for that. And that, that was a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, I think that's, that's all I'm doing right now. I'm just trying to be creative virtually. Um, I'm doing virtual Zoom, uh, birthdays, um, small events where people feel like, you know, a DJ could highlight you know what's happening. Um, I just recently did a Sweet Sixteen on uh, on Zoom where like it was only two hours, but you know they hired me to just do the music, and everybody that was logged on into Zoom, um, you know, was able to hear the music and party. Um, so that was kind of fun. Um, that's all I'm doing. I'm just keeping my fingers crossed that this is more of a transitional year, and then that we are back to events. Um, because yeah, if we don't go back to events by 2022, I'm going to have to start thinking of other, you know, ways of making right. money. But I mean, we'll, we'll, so let's all be hopeful. I mean, yeah. I think, you know, obviously things are moving into a, a better direction. So, you know, I mean, I, I, people were still having weddings last year. I mean, regardless of, of how you felt, yes. I mean, people were still having weddings and I did do a few COVID weddings, um, okay. you know, where people did follow the rules, which is like, you know, I think in New Jersey at some point by the summer or fall, it was, if you were going to, in the summer, you could do an outdoor event. Um, it just had to be a specific amount of people. Um, everybody had to keep their masks on, um, you know, un unless they were eating, you know? So like I did do a couple COVID weddings, they went well, um, you know, nothing happened. Not that I know of, uh, you know, I keep my mask on um, at events. Right now I have a wedding scheduled in April and then Starting May, my schedule's pretty regular. I mean, so I'm just keeping my fingers crossed that those weddings don't move. Right. Well, and again, too, with, I uh, you know New York City just opened out indoor dining. So, I mean, I feel like, again, things are moving into a good direction. Yeah. Um, fingers crossed. And like you said, 45 weddings in a year is <laughs> you only have it. Yeah, it's a lot of weddings. It <laughs> is. like almost a wedding a week. That's. that's yeah, it is. It, it is. And to, to go from that to like absolutely nothing, it just, it makes you question everything. Right. Um, and yeah, listen, it's February. What, what's today's date? The ninth. So yeah. we're coming on almost a year of this. Yeah. It's so with that said though, do you have, in addition to like the weddings that you have coming up and um, hopefully the residencies start up again soon do you have any other plans or anything that you're working on that you want to share? The game plan is that hopefully the events come back and then, you know, and the residencies start back up in New York City now that the indoor dining is opening up. I do have a feeling that, you know, clubs and stuff may be the last thing that comes back because I think, I just think clubs would be superseders, you know, like, yeah. I just, I just don't see the clubs coming back right away. Um, 
So aside from like keeping my fingers crossed and hoping all that stuff happens, um, the other things that I'm working on is uh, I, I had started this show on Twitch um, called Sippin' and Spinning with DJ Shilpa, which got pitched to a radio station. It's called Dash Radio. Um, and they have a subdivision. Uh, Dash Radio is, it, it's pretty, I'm not sure if you've heard of it, but it's a pretty good radio station and internet online thing. And they have a subdivision called Ruckus Avenue Radio, which features like South Asian artists. And um, that show was pitched to them. So hopefully that goes through and then that'll be a weekly yeah. thing. Um, oh, that's cool. So that'll be really cool. Um, that's one project I have lined up. But yeah, um, other than that, just to stay focused and continue to uh, put my mixes out for my subscribers. Um, I have a list of subscribers that, you know, have subscribed to me where every month they get a 30 minute mix from me, um, okay. you know, on the first of the month. And every month it's it, it could be different. Like February 1st, they got a 30 minute mix, which was more like slow jams because um, it's Valentine's, you know. Yeah. Um, March 1st, I'm planning on putting out a more like upbeat mix because, you know, it's springtime. People are going to want to work out, things like that. One, one month I might feature reggae, uh, so on and so forth. So I just keep my bu myself busy like that. Those are the projects that I work on. So you can just tell everybody how to find you and you can tell them how to sign up for this uh, newsletter. Yeah, sure. Um, you can find me on Instagram at DJ Shilpa. So that's DJ S-H-I-L-P-A. And uh, all you have to do is simply just shoot me a DM with your email and I'll sign you up. And starting the first of every month, you get a free mix. Nice. Well, thank you so much for coming on and, and fingers crossed, you know, everything does go back to uh, a new normal and, you know, get back out there and spin the tunes because uh, it sounds like you have a really amazing career. Thank you, Allison. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Thank you for tuning in. If you are interested in being interviewed for making it here and there, please send an email to mihatpodcast at gmail.com. Making It Here and There is an interview series focusing on ways in which individuals are using communication across borders and across cultures to achieve understanding, learning, and overall consciousness of the world around us.